most of the time, if we're all fathers, like that's something that bring, bridges the gap for us. That's something that pull, like, like it pulls us together. We have a shared common experience. And what I think is missing in our modern context, not just for fathers, but for everybody, is that we don't lean on each other enough. And the other way to say that is that we're not open to be leaned on by other people enough. Yeah. So I want to have the feel good fathered conversation to show other fathers they can have conversations about fatherhood. I want to have this conversation so that people that are interested in fathers and fatherhood can listen to see what other fathers are talking about and what their pressures are and what they're doing. And finally, um, I really just want to provide, I try and keep my personality the same and the questions the same, because if, if all you've got in your life is the capability of asking five different questions with the right five questions, you can build a relationship with anybody. Welcome to the Be It Till You See It podcast, where we talk about taking messy action, knowing that perfect is boring. I'm Lisa Logan, Pilates instructor and fitness business coach. I've trained thousands of people around the world, and the number one thing I see stopping people from achieving anything is self-doubt. My friends, action brings clarity, and it's the antidote to fear. Each week, my guests will bring bold, executable, intrinsic, and targeted steps that you can use to put yourself first and be it till you see it. It's a practice, not a perfect. Let's get started. Hey, hey, hey. All right. I have an amazing episode for you. This is definitely, um, it's, it's, ugh, I'm just so excited. First of all, we have a surprise guest and a surprise. So we have the guest who's Jay Twining and I'm so excited. He is one of our strategists that helps us work on our business. So we know him very well. We know how he is when it comes to like working on your business, growing, noodling, getting deep dive in there. And what I loved is learning so much about him and how he got to where he is. I hope that what you discover as you're learning from this is that we all have a journey and too often because of perfectionism, overachieverism, we discount ourselves from being qualified to do certain things. And because Jay did not, as you'll hear in the story, he actually put himself in spaces that really helped get him to exactly where he is today. And then also led him to the ability to do something that he dreamed about many, many, many years ago. So dreams take time. And this interview has a really lovely storyline for you to see not only yourself and the journey, but also for those of you who have men in your lives or a male listener to this, I think you'll really enjoy what he's working on right now. Have an amazing time listening to J20. loves it's here opc summer camp you know that thing we started last year well we're doing it again this year and we're making it bigger and better than ever because we have teachers from all over the world which means all day long you can nerd out with me at camp zoom from the comfort of your own home in your favorite pilates workout outfit without having to get bugs or dirt or weird camp food that's like some weird slot no you can have the amazing food from your own home you can be whatever clothes you want to be in and you can join us all day long for whatever workouts and workshops you sign up for in fact you can even do a whole day pass and save the most money in fact, up to 56% off if you buy the day pass. So go to opc.me slash events to see the full schedule and lineup of events. If you only have access to a mat, we've got plenty of stuff for you. We've got Reformer. We've got some happy hip Reformer with you. We've got so many amazing things. You can go to opc.me slash events to see the whole schedule, all 14 teachers, and all the goodness that's going to happen at Camp Zoom. And I'm your camp director. Woo! 
Hello, be it babes. Okay. I'm so excited. We actually have a wonderful, amazing guest here. And also um, Brad heard who the wonderful, amazing guest is. And he changed his plans. Y'all, he was going to go for an afternoon walk. I'm just going to say it. Like, I'm pretty I'm sure here today. I'm pretty sure that was a beat action item he was going to take from someone else. It is. It was diamond well. Yeah. I was going to do my 30. Yeah. And um, uh, he's doing the self-development part first. <laughs> Let's just call it that. That's what we're doing. So the reason why Brad's here is because we have an amazing man um, who we've come to know for more than a year now, maybe longer. Um, his name is Jay Twining, and he is actually, we go, he's really close to us because he works with us on our business every single month. So yeah. Jay, will you tell everyone who you are and what you're rocking at right now? Absolutely. So uh, I am a resident brand strategist with Brand Builders Group. And so I have the privilege of working with folks just like these two, uh, building their brand. Uh, but also what I do is I have a, well, I do feel good fatherhood. And so that's a show. And I just like working with dads and having conversations about what they're about. And that really, really kind of lights me up. So I love this because I think a lot of people don't end up with a coach who's also a client of some kind, like actually doing the thing that they coach on. And so I actually really appreciate it because you, uh, with feel good fatherhood, you're coming at everything that we're doing from the same place. Like, you know, how much time and energy an episode like this takes. Like, I think um, our listeners might be like, oh, this is like a 30 minute episode or however long it is. And let me just tell you the amount of hours pre yeah. <laughs> and after mm -hmm. <laughs> to get it is not 30, it's not even double 30 minutes. So um, what made you want to get started with feel good fatherhood? I guess we can almost start there because that's kind of like why you'd be even interested in coaching people on this, on, on, on the journey you're yeah, going. Which came first here? Chicken or the egg? Got it. We'll do feel good fatherhood first. So this is, this is great. Well, I mean, did you start feel good fatherhood prior to becoming a BBG coach? Oh no, this was afterwards. Okay. However, the, I would say the genesis of the idea was long time ago. And okay. so, uh, when I was making games, so I was a game designer for about 10 years, uh, living the life I was in, uh, actually I was in San Diego and your guys' neck of the woods. And I went to, I think the first thing we got to do was like preface what it's like in the industry. And so lots of hours, overtime crunch is kind of common knowledge, not that different from being a business owner, not that different from being say in Hollywood, something like that. So lots of hours is a normal cadence. So I woke up one day and it was a normal day. I left for work at a normal time and my daughter wasn't awake. And then I went for my standard eight hours, eight and a bit. And I came home a regular day, came home at a regular time. And she was asleep by the time I came home. And the thing I did was I walked upstairs, I woke her up to sing her lullaby. And while I was sitting there doing this, when I came back down, I had this um, inner turmoil. So I just had this moment where the things that I'm doing in my life, the way that I've set up my day to day, they aren't really aligned with number one, who I learned later on who I am, like my new identity, but also with what I'm doing. And so while I was doing my dream work and while I was really activated and fulfilled and while I loved everything I was doing, creating games and uh, providing entertainment for people all over the world, it wasn't filling my cup anymore. And, and, and presumably that was because of your daughter. Yes, because of my daughter and, <laughs> and my wife and my family and all fair, that kind fair, of chats, fair. right? Let's just, hey, <laughs> so, she's listening too, guys. Let's make sure the wife 100%. Gets <laughs> 100%. And, uh, it took me a while. Like I, I, I kind of had the niggling, uh, sense, like I had the sense somewhere in my body, like it was showing up in my body and lots of things were going on. And it took me about four years to figure out it's time for me to leave. It's time for me to pursue something new. 
all of this kind of happened. That's sort of the preface. That's the scene. What was really happening was that my daughter was born about three weeks after a major studio that I was working at closed. And it was very public, incredibly stressful. Uh, it was 38 studios. So for the listeners, if they want to go down the rabbit hole of public business and private business, it's, it's pretty crazy what happened. And um, we went through that. And so full company closure, no, no health insurance, no nothing, baby born in Providence, oh. Rhode Island, tons of stress. Within a month, got, had the next position moved across the country. So uprooted from all my support group, uprooted from all my mentors, uprooted from all my friends, like everything. My, my parents were living abroad in Singapore. So they were 20, 12 hours off. So I, had, I didn't have that support network anymore. Oh, right. and, then, um, and, then the, and then her parents were on the other side of the country. So it was like a six to eight hour, it was a full day trip just to come visit us. Yeah. So you can imagine like at this time in a family, you need local support. Yeah. Well, and I also just want an observation I have, because first of all, you're like, it took four years. And I think some people are like, wow, it took you four years after you had this moment. It's like four years is actually a short amount of time when it comes to like transforming the life that you want to like go from like this career to like, how do I actually change that? And also it makes so much sense because if you like lost everything in a moment that like felt like so much certainty you're so new in this job with a new child and everything. Like the last thing you want to do is go, let me just like fly by the seat of my pants moment to moment. So I think it actually makes more sense why it took four years. Yeah. I think, I think that's what, that's kind of the experience I had too, because for easily two years, you know, you and I were like, I need to get out of my job. I need to get out of my job. How am I going to get out of my job? What, what am I going to go do? What could I do instead? Right. And then after like, finally leaving, I had another two years of like, still trying to figure out how am I going to build my business? How am I going to make money? How am I going to do this until we settled on what today might look like? So yeah, that seems <laughs> par for the course. Awesome. <laughs> and all very true. And um, so when we, so then we have all this stuff going on and then finally, and the last, here's the last straw, the same year, my daughter was born in May my biological father died in December. Oh, geez. And so okay, like, so now we've just really layered it. <laughs> so everything's like happening. Oh, and by the way, and, and then on top of it in November, cause we were estranged. Um, and this is the real, this is kind of the real Genesis of feel good father. We were estranged 15 years, no relationship with my biological father. My sister and I were looking for him like public records, everything, just like, where are you? Do you, are you alive? Like standard questions like that. And so all this kind of stuff is happening on. And then a couple of years later, when things finally slow down and, and stuff, hit, like it just kind of hits me. I was like, I never wanted to be a father to my kids. Like my biological father was to me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that, and that story of the estranged parent you know, like I love data. So two out of five kids in the United States are in fatherless households, 40%. There's a reasonable odds that every person that you meet grew, grew up in a fatherless household. That's a reasonable number, 40%. That's almost the majority. So um, when, I, when I kind of combine all these different pieces of data, the way that I kind of find success in my life is that I, I kind of do two or three core things, right? I kind of, I like to talk and, 
and engage in a community to kind of figure out what's going on, that was gone. I like to find people that are ahead of me on the journey or walking with me on the journey and hang out there. And that didn't really exist. There were no new fathers around me. I was completely outside of that, that group. And then the other one, and then the other place where I, I lean a lot on is family. And that was, that was out, right? So, cause I mean, they were a phone call away, but it's, it's kind of different in, in um, the face-to-face interaction being in it is different than that kind of interaction. And so now we're, so now that we understand the history, feel good fatherhood exists because there were two things that were going through my mind. Number one, I don't think my experience is that weird for new dads. I think it's very common and I think it's very common today. And I think more fathers today go through what I went through than not. Right. And number two, I think that sucks. I think that's the worst state. And I think that, um, in general, not only for fathers, but for parents, the whole scope that we don't do a really good job of, of a society of gathering around people that are intricately valuable in the, in the world, like being good parents, just being present, just being a present parent, like not even the qualifier to being a good parent, because that in of itself is a journey. Just being in the room and yeah. raising is, is that's already hard. You've added another career on top of everything else you're doing. Yeah, I think we, most of our listeners are, I would say, are a parent in some stage of that. And it is, first of all, the pressure on parents to like, is like, they're like, here is your child and all the pressure in the world on your shoulders now. (laughs) And if you didn't have, um, and I would say, if you said 40% are fatherless homes, then I would say all those moms that they were, those 40%, they had moms who were like overworked, underpaid, um, under like under like prioritized in their life. So, so many people don't have an example role model of anything that shows that like, this can also be something I love. It could be something that could be, that could feel good to go with your title, but also like it's possible. And, and if you, but if you don't have a, um, a support system, which if you don't have a parent around that's you're down one. So, oh, that's a lot. That's also articulate. Well, also I think there was a, you kind of slipped it in there, but you said this new career of being a parent. You know, it is easily as comparable or even more so than a, a career move, like a job move. Yeah. It's, and I think, and it, when I, when I think about, and I explain it that way, I think about any sort of hard skill that you need, like uh, we're all kind of business owners here, right? So there, there are probably off the top of our heads, probably 25 different things that you need to basically master to have a successful business. It's the same number for raising kids. <laughs> like, so you're, so on top of everything else that's going on, we're just, we're just trying to figure out, you know, let alone the physical care of, of a new, of a new baby, you're learning new interaction styles with your spouse. They have all the same fatigue and frustration you do. So, so like when you think about the powder keg of the house, it's like, <laughs> it's so easy. <laughs> And, and, and this is why, you know, for those not watching YouTube, that was the mind blown emoji. Yes. But also my brain went like, if these walls could talk, it's almost like there needs to be a show about house walls. It's like, Oh, Oh, this, this, we're going, going back now they have a kid. So here, let's just watch this go. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> I had this funny way back in the, you know, adult swim, the cartoon. I had this weird idea when I was a kid of. Um, of, of having a cartoon of a bunch of wheels talking about the conversations happening in the car. 
Yes. Yes. You know, like, <laughs> oh, there they go again. Oh, Jerry's lost again. Not asking for help. Here we go. Oh, Margaret's doing that. Like just this crazy stuff. And uh, I think that would be really hilarious. So, Oh my gosh. Also like for the, it could be based in LA. It's like the same cars on the same freeway, the same wheels are seeing each other. Oh gosh. <laughs> You almost hit hey, me Bob. <laughs> How you doing? How you yeah. doing? Oh, yep. I saw you yesterday. It's good. All right. I, let's let's move 10 feet. Okay. I digress. Um, so I love this. so Jay, it took you four years to like go from this inner turmoil to like making a shift. Was the shift like did you go part-time? Did you just like leap and the net will appear? Like what was the next, what was that next step that you could take after you had this feeling? Let's just let's just kind of layer on stuff. So at okay. this time I was still trying to make the the career work. And uh, when I actually made the decision, I was living and working in Cambridge, Massachusetts, while my family was in Albany, New York. And so Friday night, I would leave work, jump on the jump on the freeway, drive back three three hours, pull in at ten o'clock. My young four year old daughter would be awake at ten on a Friday night, go. which is fine. Um, so yeah, woo. <laughs> So we'd have you know our what, little what rules. What are what is a bedtime anyways? <laughs> exactly. And so and so we were just cramming in like two days because roughly right around Sunday, like I'd be driving back balling. Like there were so many times I drove back along the freeway just crying because I'm like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Wow. And mm. so all this stuff happened. And the the real pivotal moment for me was when I finally decided that it was time to really make the switch. Cause all this had been brewing to this point was yeah. Um, I misunderstood. I was having a discussion with my wife about coming and checking things out in Boston for moving there. And then she said, she said, I don't even remember what she said, but what I heard was I'm not moving to come to you like in a, in like a separation style. And so I had a mental break at work. I like, I stopped moving for about 30 minutes because I couldn't process what was happening. Right. And then like a bunch of my coworkers came to me and they were like, are, are you okay? Do you need to go home? Like what's going on? Um, and so I came out of it and I was like, and I, I, you know, because I was relatively young, was younger than I am now. And fair, um, fair. <laughs> I kind of worked for a bit, but then I went home and just kind of processed everything. And I was like, this isn't it. Like, this isn't working. This is, and it, and what was happening was not going to be different from what my life would look like uh, if I stayed in that career, if I stayed making games. Mm-hmm. So, um, so this happened. And then, you know, six to nine months later, there was downsizing. So I was out of work anyways. But by that time happened, I was actively looking for the next position. I was also, actively- I feel like mentally, you must have been, you know, not necessarily welcoming it, but, but ready to be making that change. And yeah. when, the, when the, you know, when that happened at the, the job, it was like, kind of in lockstep with you. So it was, it was kind of weird. I remember my boss, when we had the conversation, he was like, Oh, you're handling this very well. <laughs> just being like, <laughs> like, yeah. You're like, I've one foot <laughs> just, out the door most of the year. Yeah. Didn't tell yeah. you. That. When I was asked to quit, I was like, Oh, do you want me to? So today would today be a good day? Like, cause I wouldn't want to fire you. And I'm like, well, you fire, I'd be over today. So do you want me to quit today? Like, do you want a two weeks notice? And they're like, are you okay? I'm like, um, I guess I've been planning this a while. <laughs> and so like, the only thing I can say to those, to those guys is that it wasn't you and I wasn't at my best. Mm-hmm. And so sure. if there's anything going on there, um, so, and then it started a whole bunch of years of just, um, 
not making a lot of money, <laughs> like sure. trying to hit it. Cause I had, you know, I was at, you know, I was a solid 10 years in great salary, great career being actively recruited by like Microsoft and places over in San Francisco, like just constantly having these discussions about going to these different places and these bigger studios and me just having to say, Nope, I'm retiring this part of my life. So right. all this kind of stuff happened. And I had been thinking about being a game developer. So I was like, I ended up being a game designer, a game system designer as my specialty since I was like eight. So when all this happened then, when we, when we really take a look at it, my entire identity like was completely wrapped up in this career. I had almost nothing to back up on yeah. or, or uh, yeah, fall back on. Yeah. Uh, and so, and when we take the moving from place to place and uprooting social support, it was like, I didn't, like I had nothing. Yeah. You didn't feel like you had a community either. I had nothing. Again, it was crazy. Yeah. So and, wait, where, how old it's so just so I have a perspective time. Like how old is their daughter when this <laughs> So, uh, we left, I, I started working at the Cambridge place when she was four, it would have been around six. She was six when this was all happening. And so she's turning 11 now. So this would have been four or five years ago. Wow. Yeah. And so basically she was six. I, I spent about a year and a half a year, just figuring stuff out. I had to, I'd had to develop a whole new set of skills. Uh, and for everybody that's out there, they're not. The number one skill you need when you're starting a business or trying something new is sales. And I had no sales experience. Oh, so did you it just, work at a restaurant? Um, well, I, I was a busboy at a restaurant, so I was kind of doing that stuff, but um, I didn't have any of that experience. And so I had I I deep dived into sales. I worked at a um, I was an internal salesperson for a direct sales company okay. selling a multi-thousand dollar product. Cool. Um, and that was a really steep uphill climb and started to get we'd, that thing going. We'd have like throw yourself in, like, yeah. just, like yeah. just dive into the hardest thing. I literally yep. would have just gone into food and been a server. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't pay quite as much as being an assistant <laughs> salesperson. Something that I really had to get over and I still get over a lot is just, I had a really, I, and I still kind of do like I'm kind of arrogant sometimes like in my, in here, in my head, I have a big ego. And at that time in my life, I was like, well, I'm used to this kind of lifestyle. So right. when I come in, I, I got to make this big projects. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and um, game designers, we have a chip right here on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Was like, I've been to several you know. uh, game designer Christmas parties actually. So yes. <laughs> yes. Very confident, very self-assured. Uh, we've got the plan. We have the vision and our whole, like a huge part of our job is enrolling everybody in what we're doing and getting the vision going. Mm. And so um it was really hard to start back at zero. Yeah. And so, um, and so the, it kind of took time. And the one good thing that I had going for me is that, um, and I guess I still have this. I don't have a, if I was internally saying this, it's, I have a low sense of self-awareness in that I don't always, when I see something, I'm like, sure, I'll just go try that. Like, why not? And so there was this um, open sales position for, <laughs> It's kind of embarrassing when I say it now, but an open sales position for a Sotheby's real estate agent. I had, I didn't even, I didn't know what Sotheby's was. I like, oh, I, didn't know I what see what of, you're saying. Yeah. There's zero yes. imposter. You have none. You're I, like, yeah. I can do that. Like, yep, sure. And I did. I might as well be a salesperson for them. Exactly. Everyone listening. You know what? You should try that. Try By just the like way, the once. For, for, if you don't know, Sotheby's is like the biggest in the world. 
And that's probably a very, very um, competitive role. Luxury. So it's luxury second homes. Average listing price is seven fifty plus. The people that have these these kind of homes, like this, is their second, third, and fourth home. Right. So the right. the average clientele, they're multimillionaires, if not billionaires, and they they have homes in places we like to travel to hotels to vacation in. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So that's yeah, kind like, of the clientele. This. I got this. You're like, I like, hey, let's go. I've been there. Yeah, let's do it. I was like, hey, did you get and, the job? Well, I got I got an interview, and <laughs> um, and uh, and we talked about maybe doing the work. Uh, but where where it ended up, so but my skill set at that point was actually in information businesses, so information products, courses, memberships, and online sales, and so. Instead of, he didn't really bring me in for the real estate agent. He was like, would you be interested in helping me build this business? And I was like, That's sure. So cool. And um, sure. And so we worked together for a while and, and that was, it was a wild ride and we, we actually built everything and, and had some great success with it. And then, um, and then that led me to what I'm currently doing, which is BBG. Cool. So that is so crazy. Just crazy, right? But here's what I, I love. love that the interview had nothing to do with the job. But also like, I think, I think, uh, what I I'm loving this and I know what our listeners would be doing. They would never have applied for that job. They would never have, and I'm not saying go out and apply for jobs, you know, even have isn't doing, but like they all, I actually think a lot of people, like someone listening to this might not even apply for the job that they're qualified for because they'll talk themselves out of it. And so it's like- The perfectionism side. Yeah. Like all, so yeah. we could just all like all gleam, not not too much, just enough to like actually go for the thing that we are able to do that we think, oh, I'm not ready. If you've ever said, I'm not ready for that yet. When, when I do this, then I'll be ready. And it's like, if you're waiting for someone to deem you ready to apply for a job or take the next step, no one's doing that. No one is coming around and randomly like going, and now you should go for that interview. Like now you're ready, you know? And, and if they are, I would like you to look around. You may be in a cult. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Maybe not that serious, but something close. So so that allowed you to take all your expertise and like really help all these people who are putting courses together. They're going on speaking, they're doing these things. And then it sounds like it gave you the time to actually sit back and build your thing from the ground up. I think the one, the, the number one best thing about this direct sales company that I was working for and being a salesperson is the sheer amount of personal development that was emphasized there. They were like, if you're not reading and not currently working on you, your mindset, the way you speak on some sort of skill, soft skill, hard skill, like you don't belong here. That was a language. It was like, you just don't belong here. And so I would, I would read Robert Kiyosaki, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, Cashflow Quadrants. I was reading uh, Harv T. Ecker, Secrets of the Millionaire, Millionaire Mind. I was reading, like, I was just reading constantly sales, personal development, sales, that. personal development. Love yeah, that. just constant, like constant courses, constant webinars, always personal development, grow, 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 learn as much as you can. And it led to some, like, I met some crazy people. Like I, I met a dude, uh, he had a business and his goal was to own real estate in every single state. He was at uh, 20 states um, by the time I spoke to him. And like, by the time I stopped speaking to him, he was at 25. Like he just, and that was within a couple of months. Like he was just was hungry and going after it. and. Um, and it really kind of let me know that the limit of what I could accomplish was based on the amount of work I was going to put in. 
And so while yes, I didn't have any imposter syndrome, I didn't have any internal self-awareness about qualifying for a position, I knew I could work to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And so there was never in my mind a, there was never in a mind a, oh, I don't have that line item. So I'm going to go do this other thing. Cause so I was in video games for 10 years. When I got that position, I was a data analyst. I went to school for French language. So I learned, I know a little bit about French culture, France, French art, like fine art in France. And I took computer science as a minor because uh, I had always kind of been making games in my off time. And that was one of the big pushes. But getting into the industry was, um, it's, it's, this is the common joke about job openings, right? So they'll list a bunch of like skills that you have and say like 10, 10 years required for an entry-level position, right? So an entry-level position for a thing requires 10 years of experience in a bunch of doohickeys. And it's like, it's absurd, and I remember <laughs> I looked at this entry-level position um, at uh, Vicarious Visions, and uh, it's really funny. I'll continue this one later on. But um, so I went there, and I was like, "Oh, requires like one to three years of game development experience." And then, but when I looked at all the rest of it, I was like, "I have all the rest." And I and I sent a resume to it on a lark because it was a studio I hadn't really heard of, and um, it was in a place I was like, "Albany, New York. Where's that?" You know, and so I had no no frame, uh, you know, because I was young and didn't really have a lot of experience in it. But when I had the phone screen, so I was in between. So this is crazy. I was shooting a safety video, a bilingual safety video, English French, for the company I was working for. So I was on set in front of camera doing doing this work. The the hiring manager called me. And I said, look, I'm, I'm back on set in like 25 minutes. And he's like, what? <laughs> and I said, I said, I didn't really know you were going to call. I appreciate it, but I've got about 20 minutes. What can we talk about? And so in that conversation, I said, yes, I had worked in, in building my own games. I had been playfully, playfully coding since I was about my daughter's age. So about eight, uh, my first language was, was basic. And I made a little text adventure. Um, and so I had been kind of doing this work. And then by the time I got there, um, you're actually overqualified for the job really is what we're finding out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's a little bit of that. And, but, um, go and ahead. So, I'm so sorry, but I, I just, I just have to interrupt because it's like what you're, what I'm hearing you say is like, where people are like going, I have to have, if they have this, I have to have these things. And you brought up like 10 years of this for an entry-level job. It's like, well, how do you get the entry? How do you get the 10 years experience? before. So I love that you're like, I have all the rest of this stuff. So I'm going to go for it because I think people, like the perfectionists be like, Oh, I don't have those. Got to go take another training and come back later. Miss out on the opportunity to really like show, well, I have these other experiences that would help with this job. If I was thinking about life as a video game, most video games have sort of some sort of technology limit to a level or a skill. So you have a skill in jumping and the jumping is like nine out of 100, but that's an artificial limit for the context of the game. In real life, there's no upper limit to a skill. To take that and um, uh, so I, I, I had a really hard time understanding what I could do for whom, where, outside of my, my music skills. So I totally understand what you mean. You're like on set, but you applied to a gaming company and, and it's like, you know, I, I never even saw myself like the benefit that I could add to any company, any company. It actually did not matter if they were 
doing, you know, skin hair care or alcohol. And like, literally that's, I was able to take my operational uh, mind and make it benefit either of those two companies that I did end up working for, but never would I've actually been like, I should go work at an alcohol company, right? You know, I had no context um, to understand how my skills could be beneficial. If, yeah. if you're in the world of the W2, you know, the reason why I brought up that sales competency when you're doing something new is because most of the time you have to articulate why these people can make use of your skills. Uh, it, I always find it the funniest thing ever because uh, this video game background has cost me clients, you know, in this personal branding world, because they're kind of like, oh, you made games. You must not take anything seriously. And I'm like, Oh, that's so funny. What it's, a weird, well, uh, you know what? That's a judgmental person. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> Not super, my ICA. <laughs> and it's, and it's okay. Right. Like that's the, it's, you know, I, I really believe people are, they're going to, they're doing the best they can with the information that they have and who they are to this point. And yeah, I think, you know, some, some people I'll just, I'll just hit this point. Let's, let's just talk about gaming for a minute. 60% of the U S population plays games. I play Ask, a game at least an hour a day, probably two. If asking somebody if they play a game or if they're a gamer is equivalent to asking somebody if they watch movies. Right. Yeah. It's ubiquitous. Like gaming is here to stay and it's a part of our life. You may or may not choose to, to do something with it, but everybody plays. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that when we're really thinking about what would be the core company competencies of like why I've been able to do the things that I've been doing is because something that human beings are innately good at is discovery and learning. We, we are learning machines. We learn like the moment Puzzles, we're out man. of the womb, we learn everything, everything you do, everything you experience, you reflect, you think on, and you can either apply that knowledge or not. That's the difference between like wisdom versus experience, mm -hmm. right? So, um, wisdom being, you can learn from other people's experience, experience being, you have to personally do it. And yeah. hopefully in your life, you don't have to go through the hard path every single time. Hopefully at some point you can learn from other people's experience. And that sales position and all that personal development was when I really started to unlock that because to that point, before that position, I had been trying to do so much on my own and figuring everything out the hard way. Man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's like, and, and also I feel like I bet that's when personally, that chip that was on your shoulder, you were starting to let that go mm -hmm. because that got to figure it out myself hard way. That's a lot of ego, right? And we, we end up trapping ourselves in the, I got to do it the hard way because we're not it's, open yeah, yeah, to other people's wisdom. It's so there was certainly that it's uh, we called it the, in the industry, we called it the not invented here syndrome, not invented here. Not invented here. Like, let's reinvent the wheel. Eh, maybe. <laughs> like, or we can save time by learning from something else or some other system or getting the research. Uh, but so then, right. and again, like, so I, I was having these lessons and then, so fatherhood, right? I was like, oh, well, why can't I learn from other fathers? And yeah. so right around also all this time. So like, I'm figuring out career stuff. And what I'm just kind of noticing as well, like as I'm reading and finding things is that there aren't really many places for fathers because at that time, so four or five years ago, we started to see the boss mama and the, you know, the, 
crush it. I think the big thing was like the helicopter parent. There was the super mom on the cover of time. Yep. There was all this other kind of stuff. Now and there's like, bulldozer parent, but none of these are any parent anybody actually wants to be like nobody. <laughs> like, right. do you, can you, can you imagine like actually being super mom? Like that sounds like a lot of work. Sounds like a lot of running and speeding and changing of clothes and handling and controlling everything as opposed to like, cause like a superhero is alone. It's not like the Avengers moms, you know? So anyways, I'm just, this is what I'm thinking about. And then the helicopter right parent analogy. sounds exhausting. <laughs> One of my, you, you said something that I think is really important and critical to why feel good fatherhood exists. It's that I learned from a game developer that I really, really loved on when he was talking about and working on Star Wars, The Old Republic. It's one of the only Star Wars MMOs that's out there. And he said, it's totally fine for you to be alone. We love Batmans. We love the lone people. It's not okay for you to feel lonely. Mm. So feel good fatherhood exists because it's totally fine for you as a parent or a father to be alone. It is not okay for you to be lonely. Yeah. So those conversations, part of it is, and I really believe this today about leaving, leading from the front. And so I don't have, I don't have that self-awareness or anything like that going on. So I'm like, let's just talk about fatherhood. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, I try and I don't have this whole, like, um, there's a, sometimes I have like star power where like, oh, like I really want to do something good. Or I want to have a really great interview with a person, but most of the time, if we're all fathers, like that's something that brings bridges the gap for us. That's something that pulls like, like it pulls us together. We have a shared common experience. And what I think is missing in our modern context, not just for fathers, but for everybody, is that we don't lean on each other enough. And the other way to say that is that we're not open to be leaned on by other people enough. Yeah. So I want to have the feel good fathered conversation to show other fathers they can have conversations about fatherhood. I want to have this conversation so that people that are interested in fathers and fatherhood can listen to see what other fathers are talking about and what their pressures are and what they're doing. And finally, um, I really just want to provide, I try and keep my personality the same and the questions the same, because if, if all you've got in your life is the capability of asking five different questions, with the right five questions, you can build a relationship with anybody. Why not? So, so you're, ma you're making me think of uh, a recent guest we had, the fitness guys. They also brought in Star Wars as an example. So we'll have to connect <laughs> you guys for sure. They were, they're very similar. It's like when you, when, like it makes me think of like for moms, we have done so much to support them. We need to do more. So please don't throw anything at me, ladies. I get you. We got to do more, but a lot of, there's a lot of like text chains groups, like a mom can literally like text 500 people and go, what's this <laughs> and get, but like either it's either I'm not aware of it because it's not in my world and none of my friends are fathers. I'm friends with the moms, or it's just really not something that has actually been created where it's like, I have not, I don't, we saw our friends who recently have a kid. Did we ask Chris how he's doing? No, I think we were like, Laura, how are you doing? Do you have help? Like, <laughs> I don't think we, I don't think we're like even worried about Chris. The thing is that this is very needed. Yeah. It's like a societal assumption. It's, actually. um, there, it's so funny because the, the pressures on men today are, um, what are some of the pressures? The stoic man is not appreciated. So the, and, and what does the stoic man mean? And 
where do we see that? We see the stoic man in TV shows or movies. These are our heroes. So these are the people that accept the, well, these are the men that accept what's happening and just keep going. That's, that's the hero idea. Like, oh, that kind of happened. All right, let's missions ahead. <laughs> like, Keep going. Right. Um, and we see this a lot in our context of like military movies, you know, like Black Hawk Down is, um, I don't know. I, I think uh, I have some context around why I like some of these military movies. Mostly it just reminds me of how grateful I am that I wasn't a soldier and that I live in a very safe world. Sure. Um, it reminds me of that context. But from the stoic man, like that idea is kind of being diminished in, um, in the role of Hollywood. And maybe that's kind of changed, uh, especially since if we think about the Marvel context, um, you know, Tony Stark, right? Tony Stark, Captain America have this like, look, we, we just got to pursue the thing. Like we got to go solve the problem and pursue the thing. Yeah. And, um, and that's kind of being made fun of. What's really crazy about this in the cultural context is that, ladies, if you'll allow me this, tell me the last time you wanted your man to freak out when something happens, to have an over-exuberance of emotion when things happen constantly. That emotional self-control is something that is attractive in us and something that's expected of us as men and fathers in particular. So And- that doesn't mean hundred percent. And it's not saying turn off the emotion. In fact, part of feel good fatherhood is really being in touch with what's happening on the inside, knowing that you have an emotion and knowing how to handle that. But the other side as well is kind of knowing and learning in a social context, when is it appropriate for me to face and open up and share my vulnerability? And then um, when is it not appropriate? Let's suppose that you're on the side of the road, right? and your tires are blown out, like who's going to pull over if the dude is in a, an angry fit, right? Like, let's suppose he's in an angry fit. Cause he's mad. Cause the tires blew up. Nobody's going to pull over. Yeah. And he's like, like kicking the side of the tires, on kicking the, the side of the freeway, tire, having, like, bam, bam. having a craziness. <laughs> like, Whoa, Even crazy. then the cops, the cops that show up, the police officers that show up, that are trying to help. They're going to be like, dude, calm down. Right. And then he's going to end up becoming a threat. Yeah. So in the, in the conversation of our lives and why am I, why am I focusing on anger? Because anger for men is a fuel source and it is one of our default emotions. It's one of our few accepted emotions. Okay. Uh, going, we're on a crazy track, but what, what's really important is that uh, for men that we understand how to, how to communicate what's going on inside. And that we're also in tune with what's happening inside. So none of, none of, please take nothing of what I said as the emotions don't happen. I have crazy emotions constantly in my life. Like it just, it just kind of happens, but it's not always appropriate for me to express them super exuberantly. Like number one, I'm not an actor, so I don't get paid to do that. <laughs> There's that piece. But number two, it's not always meaningful. Like it's mm -hmm. not always, it's not always going to meaningfully add to the situation and it's not expected subconsciously of me. And then oh, finally, dude, I'm pretty sure that my computer fixes itself every time I yell at it. So, you know, I don't actually know go. what you're talking about. There's but a reason we that, have separate offices, everyone. There's a reason. It just magically works. I think the other side of it too comes from um, in a lot of, so in video games, I was in kind of a male dominated world and um, there's a certain 
context where it's allowed and not that doesn't translate everywhere. So Simon Sinek loves telling the story about how he was on, I think he was in Afghanistan. He was on base and he was really surprised that the soldiers were allowed and given space when they had an emotional situation. So when we're talking about stoic, stoic guy, we're on mission, we have to kind of do the thing. We have those people in real life, right? Yeah. There are police officers, firemen, uh, firewomen, police women, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way up to frontline hospital, uh, hospital workers, right? Mm-hmm. In that context, what I learned from Simon Sinek was that he was walking in the base from a mission and a soldier just broke down. Yeah. And he was allowed the space to, to experience the emotion. That's amazing, actually. So let's, let's suppose that you're a young boy in elementary school and you have an emotional outburst. What's the first thing the teacher does? They probably yell at you. Yell at you, discipline you, stop it, be quiet and sit down. Yeah. Okay, so that's that piece. All right, so now we're in a professional context. Have, has, has anybody or any of the listeners, you ever had an angry boss or a sad boss? Oh, I didn't know. I've always had like, they were lovely people or they were horrible people that you did not want to have your emotions around. (laughs) I did. Right. So, and this is just this world, right? Um, This is just this world where when, when it's kind of like when guys are evaluating other guys, depending on your emotional maturity, that's the, the key point here. As an individual, depending on your emotional maturity, your in tuneness with your own emotions and your ability to perceive and react or have empathy is the other word, have empathy for other people, that's going to determine how well you are willing to accept an emotional outburst. Mm. So let's bring it back, right? Let's bring it back into fatherhood. So I had to learn this because what I know is that most young fathers haven't figured out anger yet. There's a lot of anecdotal stories. I mean, I couldn't even imagine being in my early twenties. Like I, I don't know. It took me multiple relationships to identify that anger was actually a big problem in my, in my, you know, yeah. in me. I think, and like, gosh, we'll have to just have this conversation. We'll have to bring in more people on this whole thing, because what I'm also like, of course I'm expert, like from my own experience, I actually think that like for women, you're not allowed to have emotions at work, right? For men, you're not allowed to have emotions outside of where you should have any emotions. So in fact, in society, we're actually not teaching anyone how to go have an emotional moment (laughs) until it sounds like they're in the military and they just fought a bunch of people. (laughs) So it just sounds like we're waiting until it's so fucking extreme that we have to (laughs) have a moment. So, oh my gosh, I think, um, I think it's really amazing what you're doing and, um, we'll have to talk more, but obviously people can, can work with you on this, especially, um, our listeners, you all have men in your life that, that may, this may absolutely apply. So we're gonna take a quick break and we're going to find out where people can work with feel good fatherhood. All right, loves. It's super important to me that supplements I take are of the highest quality. And that's why for three years I've been drinking AG one. Unlike many supplement brands, AG one is constantly searching for how to do things better. At 52 iterations of their formula and counting, their team is always trying to find better ways to source, test, and aim to find the best quality ingredients available. I love this so much, guys, because so many people think I have to get it right the first time, and they have done 52 different iterations. I freaking love that. So many people have asked me if AG1 is actually the real deal. I really do drink it, and trust me, there's a reason why I've been drinking it for so long. Quality for AG1 isn't just a buzzword. It's a commitment backed by expert-led scientific research, high-quality ingredients, industry-leading manufacturing, and rigorous testing. 
testing. At each step of the process, AG1 goes above and beyond industry standards. I know I can trust what's in every scoop of AG1 because it's tested for 950 contaminants and banned substances while the industry standard typically only tests for 10. Holy moly. I know that like I'm a recovering overachiever over here, but I'm super glad AG1 isn't. Okay, so taking care of my health shouldn't be complicated and AG1 simplifies this by replacing multiple health supplements like multivitamins, digestive aids, immune support, and more in just one simple scoop. It's literally just one scoop. It's one scoop in one bottle of water. It's amazing. AG1's ingredients are heavily researched for efficacy and quality, and I love that every scoop also includes prebiotics, probiotics, and digestive enzymes for gut support. Y'all know I've had gut stuff, so that's why I've been doing it for so long. I've partnered with AG1 for so long because they make such a high quality product that I genuinely look forward to drinking every day. So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription at drinkag1.com slash be it. That's drinkag1.com slash B-E-I-T. Check it out. All right, Jay, where can people find you, follow you, work with you? My channel's on YouTube right now. So it's youtube.com slash at feelgoodfatherhood. And uh, there'll be a bunch of, you'll know it's the channel because there's a nice blue brick background. Uh, in addition to really liking French fine art, I am a sucker for uh, turn of the century jazz and Humphrey Borgart movies, Casablanca. <laughs> I used to do uh, Lindy Hop and Balboa, so swing dancing. That's how I met my wife. And so I've got this whole jazz and music background. Uh, I know, Brad, you and I are going to talk about this at some point. I so love that's it. the channel. Um, uh, that's where that's the easiest way. And then if you want to engage in a conversation with me, this, the next best place is LinkedIn. Um, shoot me a DM. Let me know how you found me. And I'd love to just talk with you and, and, and see if there's any way I can support you or maybe the other way around. Who knows? I Plus you've got your pod, right? Yeah, that's where the pod is. Feel Good Fathered right there uh, at YouTube. Uh, that's where you can find that. That will be out soon. Maybe by, maybe by the airing of this episode, uh, I have some, hey. some SEO work to make, the, uh, to make it on all other podcast uh, platforms. I love it. This is awesome. Well, um, before we let you go, Real quick, bold, executable, intrinsic targeted steps people can take to be it till they see it. What do you have for us? Got it. All right. So three core steps, three core steps to be it till you see it. Uh, well, we'll use the conversation of the video game thing. So I had no video game experience. What did I do? Uh, success leaves clues. I did a whole bunch of research. I did. I read books on it. I found blogs. I found ways of being. Uh, an old mentor of mine, uh, Charles Mizrahi. He said, if you want to be an investor, you have to do things that investors do. He said, what do investors do? They read financial reports every single day. That's what Warren Buffett does. So he said, if you want to do a thing, do the work every day. So the first step is the research. The next step is that research by itself and knowledge isn't very valuable. You have to apply and practice. So if you want to, like, for instance, if you want to do investing, there's, you can do historical trades. You can go, you can find a way to go do historical trades to practice what you've been learning. If you want to make games, you go and you make games. Like there's so many tools out there today to do it. It's, it's relatively straightforward. And then finally, and this is the most critical part is that while you're practicing and while you're doing it, while you're doing anything, evaluate if you still like it. Yes. That is amazing. Yes. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. That one rewind. Have everyone listen to that one again. It's so, so important. Yeah. Jay, you are a phenomenal person. Your journey is incredible. And I think so many of us can learn from it. And also any of the moms who are worried about their kid playing video games, it is not like being lazy, not taking life. They're learning how computers work and they're learning different skills along the way. So, you know, you can monitor screen time. I'm okay with that, but, <laughs> but they're not going anywhere nor our computers. So I think they need to engage with them in some way. Um, how are you going to use these tips in your life? Let us know, tag Jay, tag the be it pod, let it, uh, tell us how, what was the most important point to you, what resonated with you the most. And until next time, be it till you see it. That's all I got for this episode of the be it till you see it podcast. One thing that would help both myself and future listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a review and follow or subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, make sure to introduce yourself over at the Be It Pod on Instagram. I would love to know more about you. Share this episode with whoever you think needs to hear it. Help us and others be it till you see it. Have an awesome day. Be It Till You See It is a production of the Bloom Podcast Network. It's written, filmed, and recorded by your hosts, Leslie Logan and me, Brad Kroll. It is produced and edited by the Epic Team at Desenio. Our theme music is by Ali at Apex Production Music and our branding by designer and artist Gianfranco Chofi. Special thanks to Melissa Solomon for creating our visuals and Samena Velazquez for our transcriptions. Also to Angelina Herico for adding all the content to our website and finally to Meredith Crowell for keeping us all on point and on time. my coffee lovers, I got something for you. And I know most of you are coffee lovers because if you're listening to this, you have lots of things you're doing and coffee is something that you are taking with you everywhere you go. In fact, I know the Plaza instructors around here are taking coffee, kombucha, tea, and water into every class that they take. So this one is amazing because this is Pure Cafe Bold. They have two options for you. They've got black coffee and then they've got a caramel coffee latte, which is amazing. And here's why it's amazing. It's pre-brewed. So it comes in this amazing little packet and you can actually just take the packet into your office, your work on a plane like we've been doing. And then you pour hot water in and boom, you've got coffee. And this coffee actually has some amazing stuff. It's not just regular coffee. This coffee supports your immune system. It boosts cognitive function, increases stamina, it reduces stress, and it has cordyceps. And what are cordyceps, you ask? Oh, that's right, Brad's here. Nature's powerful secret energizer, a rare species of fungi, cordyceps is renowned for its invigorating properties and centuries old use in traditional medicine packed with essential nutrients. This natural adaptogen boosts stamina and supports overall well-being. And seriously, it's actually super simple to make. Leslie and I have taken it camping. Yeah. I'll use it in the afternoon. We're taking it everywhere because I'm tired of conferences and different hotels having burnt coffee. It's a thousand times better than the terrible coffee that you get on an airplane. And the black coffee is like less than a dollar a packet. So it's like, it's really kind of amazing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big fan of the caramel myself. He the does caramel like has it. a little bit of, uh, of milk in it. So. It has some dairy. So my dairy free peeps, you can't do the caramel, but you can do the black, right? Yeah. The black coffee is vegan, keto, gluten-free, non-GMO, nut-free, dairy-free, fat-free, and 
CGMP compliant. All right. So here's the deal. You need to go to beitpod.com slash coffee, B-E-I-T-P-O-D.com slash coffee. And when you do that, you are going to be able to get some amazing coffee that we're loving. You can buy it as a one-time purchase, or you can actually get it as a subscription. There's even family packs. So if you know that you've got a lot of coffee drinkers in your household, this is amazing. And it's honestly cheaper than all the coffees we've been making at home. So we are so excited. I hope you are going to be at pod.com slash coffee. And, you know, cheers to you and I. Every morning, we'll be drinking the same coffee together. Woo!